Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here in the podcast studios with Eric Gillen, special guest. Uh, he is the general manager for Bon Appetit and Epicurious, highly relevant to today's topic, as you will soon discover. But he's also the general manager for Architectural Digest and CNT. So he's the boss of all of us. Um, Hello, internets. <laughs> And I'm also with Aaron Florio and Sebastian Modak, who are podcast regulars. They are editors for Traveler. My name is Brad Rickman. And I wanted to start this week very briefly by just calling out that a bunch of places that we actually write about a lot and care about a lot are going through some tough times right now. Wanted to remind everybody of that. It is Tuesday when we're recording. Puerto Rico is still without power. Uh, the Caribbean has been hit by two hurricanes in a row. Mexico and Mexico City have been hit by two earthquakes in a row, lots of places in the Pacific, earthquakes, volcanoes, general things like that. And I, I bring all that up to say you can help these folks and they need your help. So just to keep things simple, there is a, a site called globalgiving.org. They have funds for each of these disasters. They work with local charities and they do a really good job of uh, dilating between initial response when a, a certain kind of activity is needed and a certain kind of equipment is needed and long-term rebuilding, which is more of a local project. And so if you're looking for a single place, there are also many other smaller, more local charities, and we've been covering these. Uh, so check out the site. If you go to the latest news on the site for any time in the last couple of weeks, you can find this stuff. Um, and we have all of these listed out, and we're going to continue to cover this stuff. So just wanted to put that out there. So on a lighter note, today's topic is the subject of eating and eating and traveling in particular. And this is the month in which we typically release our list of our favorite restaurants around the world. We reach out to our contributors network, um, the folks that we work with throughout the year, photographers, writers, uh, chefs, um, and people in the food industry and in the travel business. And we ask them what they're excited about, where they're eating now, and where they would recommend. And we have that up on the site if you look for where in the world to eat. Um, you will find it. But today I wanted to just take on the subject kind of more generally. And the place I wanted to start is to ask you guys, what makes a meal great? I feel like we take this for granted, but what is it that makes you remember a meal or enjoy a meal when you're traveling or at home for that matter? Whenever I can buy food by the pound, that's when I'm so <laughs> shrimp by the, no. Uh, I think the thing that makes meals great for me often is the person that I'm with and the uniqueness of the food itself. You know, I think the meal that like I go to now is sort of, it was really, really late. Meals have stories, meals are stories. So it was really, really late and we had gotten into Vietnam and uh, you know, it was Ho Chi Minh City and I was starving and we found a banh mi shop by triangulating between like 900 places online. And it's me and my wife eating this $4 like for two banh mi's in like a greasy step surrounded by motorcycles hungry, jet lagged, and it was like easily the greatest sandwich I've had in my whole entire life. And that for me is like super memorable meal. And I think it has a lot to do with just context, right? Anyone can go to per se and plunk down thousands of dollars for a great meal, but that blends into the sort of cacophony of great meals you've had in your life. And they, you kind of like, I don't really remember that, but I'll never forget that on me. And yeah, so I was that, gonna say, I think that's totally true. Is like the uniqueness, the idea that you can't be doing what you're doing anywhere else in the world, I think is a big part of it, even more than how a food critic would rate the food on the plate in front of you. To give it an example, to make it kind of anecdotal, I guess, I'm thinking, I've seen this weird thing happen where like, for example, I'll be 
in Zurich or something and I'll, you know, be meeting up with an old friend and he's like, okay, let's go get a meal and we'll go to some place that like he goes to regularly and it's just like a vegetarian restaurant that could exist in Midtown or something. And like, it's good food. It's fine. And we have a good time, but that's not memorable. Then I'll be in like Vietnam. Like you were saying, I'll be in Hanoi with my brother or something. He'll be like, oh, I know this place. And we'll go like down like four different alleyways and sit down on like little stools and eat like fried sparrows and drink beer with ice in it. Wait, fried, fried sparrows? They're delicious. Think like chicken wings, like the big tiny birds. No, it's more like the wings Do you part, have to wear like the bird of shame on your head like an orlaton? <laughs> and just like the equivalent of eating the frog's legs or something. Yeah, they're just like super crispy. Little. It's like the, you, you put the whole, like the bones crunch in your mouth. So it's like, it's Do you just get to pick crunchy. your sparrow? Like you the lobster? <laughs> like I want that one. The blue one in the back. <laughs> He's looking at me. Don't His look at me, Danny. sparrow. Um, You're next. But like, like one of those, you know, while objectively maybe the food at the vegetarian place was more diverse or it was better, the experience of sitting on that stool and crunching down on sparrows is going to stick with me a lot longer. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to atmosphere, right? I mean, the food will only get you so far in terms of a memorable meal. We don't want to have bad tasting food or an authentic food, but it all comes down to the environment you're in, in which you enjoy that meal. I mean, you've all given your examples. The one that most immediately comes to my mind, and I really encourage all of you next time you're in Italy or in Rome, if you're really seeking out that authentic Italian dining experience, there is a small mountain town called Ariccia, which is just outside of Rome. Now what Ariccia does, and none of the tourists know about it, you will not have any English speakers there, they have these incredible alfresco dinners where you're just plonked down next to strangers at these tables and platters and platters of locally made food are just brought to you and you eat it and then you pay what they tell you to pay and it's the most incredible meal because it's the experience and it feels so authentic. It's about everything on top of the food as well as the food itself and I think that's kind of what all three of our stories sort of have in common. Do you feel like serendipity is a key ingredient in that mm. kind of thing? I mean, mine was manufactured serendipity, right? Like, I mean, we Googled it. Like, I mean, like we found, we were typing in best bond me. Um, so I, I think you do have to work for a great meal. And that's where I think like credit card, you know, being deep pockets doesn't necessarily get you a great meal. So I, I think it's a lot about that journey and it's about how you found it. And I think it's about who you're with. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've never had a great meal by myself. Right, all the Domino's pizza that I've eaten in my life, while stoned, just is not a great meal. I just it blends I'm together. sure you loved it at the time. Yeah. Oh, at the time it was the, the, the best thing ever. But I do think you it had has memorable to do with, epiphanies, but not memorable meals during yeah, that time. Just, yeah, just you know, and that's how cheesy bread happened. <laughs> One of the ones that just really, really sticks with me is this uh, place called Barmut in Barcelona. We knew it was supposed to be good. It wasn't anything particularly fancy. It's kind of a casual place. But man, when we went there, two things happened. One, the people were so into what they were doing and they were so generous and friendly with us. They were just sort of like picking food out for us and bringing it to the table and sort of saying, you gotta try this and you have to try that. And the food itself also was amazing, like way better than I would have kind of guessed in a very, very satisfying way. And so we knew the place was supposed to be good, but it's like of the, you know, five restaurants that we expected to be good in Barcelona. That one stands out in my mind because something happened when we went there that was delightful and totally kind of like unexpected outside of like, this is going to be a good meal. Mm. Yeah. Well, a meal, I guess you can define as like a an actual experience or a cultural experience. It's not just food, right? To equate it strictly with food is is 
probably inaccurate. So I guess it's like all of those other factors. All oh. the factors. Well, that's why it's not like what's the best food you ate, right? Yeah. It's like a it, it, meal. The meal is the experience. Yeah. yeah. We say this all the time. It, it kind of becomes, I don't know if cliched is the word, but it's, it's sort of like um, terminology we come back to again and again. We say, you know, a place will travel to for food. You know, we will travel for food. Do you guys actually do that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever planned a trip where eating or a restaurant or a particular kind of food was the center of it? I yeah. mean, I my trip that I just went on to Japan was largely, well, I, I mean, I'd never been to Japan before, but that was on, you know, the top three of my priorities in terms of things to do was to eat. And I did a lot of kind of legwork. But within Japan, we did a, you know, 24-hour detour to Osaka for the only purpose was to eat. And that's literally what we did from like 4 p.m. when we got in until two in the morning when we went to sleep was eat. And so like that was maybe the first time where I've been like, okay, I'm gonna going to this place expressly for the purpose of, of eating new things. Yeah, and I, I definitely have closer to home. I definitely go to Charleston strictly to mm. eat. There's a lot of other reasons to go, but if if there wasn't the food there, I wouldn't be going. And that is, and it almost gets stressful because you've reached this like level where you don't want to waste a meal because you have like, let's say you're going for three days, you know you're going for food, you're really excited about the food, and then you get stressed because how many meals can you have in three days? Yeah. Okay, mate, let's say you have nine, but you have 15 places you know you need to try. And then How do you make sure each one is worth oh, the time? You so know. You oh, then you get into with that, like NASA like three dimensional chess where you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to get the cheeseburger at Husk, but <laughs> there's but also like a good cheeseburger over here. And like, can I have two sandwiches in a day? And to that, I say yes. And you, you just do it. You just eat all of the things and you digest it. When you get back home, it's fine. But so. The short what's, answer, yes. But what's what's an example of like a a, a wrong call that you made? A Have you ever made the wrong call? Like you know you're doing oh, triage yeah, on yeah. that yeah. list. Here's the wrong call for everyone out there. Michelin stars. Mm. Fuck Michelin stars. I second that. I second that. You can say that. I'm really, really put oh, off. Oh, God. You're two stars. You know, twee plate with like that one sprig of dill artfully arched over a fucking scallop. Like I'm starving. And I want the food to be awesome. It's yeah. not like a jazz solo. Like just feed me. Make it a rad place. And I don't want French people all And over let's me. not Gross. forget the fact that like Michelin star places, quite often when you sign up, that dining experience can literally take you five bloody hours. And you're just like, I don't have that much time. I don't have that much time to have your 12 course degustation, whatever, you know. But are you saying you've never had a really great meal in a, in a I've I had, know, Michelin no, star? I've had plenty of really good meals and I've had plenty. Of course, the food is excellent. We're not saying that it is an excellent. It's and, and I'm certainly not actively dissuading people from having Michelin start. They're, they're, they're you know, popularized for a reason. But um, I, I, I think that. I, mean, I, don't, think I don't know. I'll be controversial. Sure. Like I've had, I've had very good meals there, but I also feel like there's, there's a, look, I don't like the opera, yeah. you know, like there's like, I understand why technically these Michelin starred meals, especially when you get really like the one and two star, like why those are noteworthy, but they don't speak to me in the same way that like I've been to opera probably 12 times now. And I just like every time an hour and a half, two hours in, I start nosing off a little bit. I think it's the same thing. I just, there's a certain like dirt under their fingernails locality of the food. I want to see, I want to see the struggle on the plate a little bit and I want to be in a room that isn't perfect. Um, and so those those places can be so perfect and they take so long, it's to your just, point. Well, there's yeah. three hours of my vacation. Yeah, there's much. also something very like, pers like I find culturally 
almost politically off-putting by the whole Michelin oh, no. Empire. Okay, now I'm going to go into. Well, no, because okay, so if, I'm to take the example of Singapore, for example, which just got its first Michelin guide last year, and it was talking, you know, all these very fi- you know fine dining restaurants got Michelin stars, and then it was like a big deal that these two hawker stalls, like stalls in the hawker centers, which are you know the traditional mm-hmm. markets where they sell street food, that two of them got Michelin stars, and everyone was like. Everyone outside of Singapore was like, oh, wow, yeah, cool. Fuck that. Like, fucking half of those hawker stalls should have Michelin stars if they're just talking about the food, you know? But it's this idea of, like, oh, here are these, like, really stuck-up white people are going to descend on Singapore and decide, you know, which are the, where you should eat in Singapore when it has this, like, insanely rich cultural heritage of food that goes way beyond the kind of molecular reduction you're eating at this one place that they think is worth putting in a book. I think it also serves two different purposes. Like, I don't actually think it's a like it's an apples versus apples comparison to say like a Michelin experience versus another type of dining experience. Mm-hmm. I think there's something very specific. It almost isn't really to do with just the food they're creating that you're about to eat. Like Michelin is a different thing. But then why you know would they I give mean? a hawker stall a, a star? Then no, I know. And then the I mean, lines get a little that's bit a, blurred. A, a but blind grass for relevance. Yeah, exactly. But, but you've also seen them being drug like kicking and screaming towards non-French cuisine mm. over the years, right? Like I'm, I'm sort of tweaking Michelin stars. They're not I had bad meals all the time, but I think there's something about that experience that like it's a great rating for that kind of experience. I'm just not sure that that's what I want to travel for. I think what I want to travel for is not a three-hour meal in a place I've never been before. Mm. With, I think a better with use, so much sterility right, attached. attached to it, of course. Yeah. Um, I have traveled for a place like Noma Right. And, and like that was worth it, I think, for me, because the experience of Noma, you know, the tour of their operation, the fact that you are aware that you're eating at a moment in time in a place that is historically significant on some level. That is an example of like an elevated meal that I think is, is worth the journey. Ditto sort of Alinea or some of the stuff that's happening there. Mm-hmm. So it's it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, I, I mostly agree, although I would also say maybe it's just two different headspaces when you go to these places because Alinea is one place where I feel like it wasn't like that was the only reason I went to Chicago, but it was kind of like yeah. a pillar, yeah. and it totally lived up to it, even though I'm not sure I would say it was the best food I ever had in my life, but it was easily one of the most interesting meals and provocative and like thought, you know, and fun too. Like it was fun to go to that place and have them bring out course after course of Mm -hmm. weird shit, you know, Mm -hmm. and made me think about food in a different way. And then I had the other thing I was going to say is when we went to Madrid, we went to two different Sergio Arola restaurants, one of which was his kind of like elevated joint that's up in like, you know, sort of the, the nicey, nice neighborhood. And then the other one, which was V Cool, which is his like little tapas bar that's kind of over on the other side of town. And they're radically different in terms of atmosphere and they're radically different in terms of the cuisine that's there. They were both really good. I just feel like the way it comes down to me is I want to do both. And both are interesting in kind of different ways and both were very tasty at the end of the day, which I feel like has to be a floor. Like if it's not really good to eat, if it doesn't taste good, like then I don't care how creative it is. But I also would say... I can only take so much. Like, I could eat at V Cool every day, mm-hmm. but I could only take so much of that kind of elevated Well, I guess food. my question then for you would be, from a travel perspective, how reflective of Madrid, of, you know, Madrileño cuisine, were those two restaurants? Or well, was see, it something you could have had in New York? Those just, like, this well, new modern New York is not a fair comparison, I think, because okay. New York or is... some other... Yeah, New York is a place where people... capital. Yeah. yeah. But, I, I mean, what I would say is, like, 
I think that the best of those places, the places that I've liked the best anyway, are the ones, I, I can think of this place in Turin um, that I, I went to a number of years ago where there was kind of a young chef and that's a tough city to do like kind of like creative cuisine in, right? People want their trattoria food. They want their traditional mm -hmm. stuff. So this dude was having a hard time getting this place off the ground, but the food was amazing. And what I liked best about it was he was taking all of the local traditions and he was like rethinking them and kind of breaking them down and reconstructing them in ways that were very creative and preserved the essence mm -hmm. in different ways of the original thing but expressed it in a completely different way and I found that super poetic and I found that it was really refreshing because I could get all that other stuff anywhere anytime. It was almost like an avant-garde intro to that cuisine in a way. Yeah it, well and I was super familiar with that cuisine because I've been there a bunch of times and and so for me it was being reintroduced to those flavors in kind of an essential way it's very poetic and I felt like Arola's place was the same way where he's taking a lot of traditional stuff and in one place, he's doing it very traditionally. So like the patatas bravas are just great patatas bravas. That'd be cool. And then at the other place, there's a, a rethink around that and a change in the presentation and the structure of it that makes you, you know, look at it in a different way. So I do think the best of those are engaged with the local traditions, with the local ingredients, with local food, and they're playing around with it a little mm -hmm. bit. I will say that, you know, when you're planning out these vacations, I think the critical mistake people can make is trying to stack their days, like going from restaurant to restaurant or food to food to food to food and like doing too many of those grade A, like big events. Like when we went to Tokyo as well, we did one one what we called nice sushi mm -hmm. and the nice sushi was yes. nice and it was yes. great and it cost a lot of money and it was like miracles of fish yay <laughs> confetti rainbows all that um but the one that i will never forget was the conveyor belt sushi yeah. right where we were the only ones there that that spoke english and we didn't know what we were eating or even really how to pay. So it was like one of those things where like it looks like a Lucy sketch, but with raw fish. And my wife and I were just like, Rooger. like people everyone else is like, I can't believe they're eating a whale. Like it's like watching yeah. blue, blue American whales feed. But like that for me is the meal that I remember. And the other one is the one that you plan for. And I think that some people yeah. who I, think yeah. that the one that you plan for or plan too many meals, mm -hmm. you leave yourself no room. So so don't be like an over anxious or nervous Nelly where you like hyper schedule that trip. You're gonna pass a farm stand. Like you have some faith in the country that you're traveling to that, that the people there love food and will have good food for you to eat. Like unless you're traveling at an airport in which yeah. case you need to plan. I had a, like almost the and <laughs> Tokyo's an interesting example for this too, because obviously you can get some of the best Michelin star restaurants in the world. Yeah. And like we the went, most of them yeah, are concentrated and, there. We went to what we planned for one. We made the reservation like two months before we came. We went to this one place called La Bombance, which is excellent. But it was the same kind of thing. It was someone who's like very committed to local ingredients, but you know, it's like something that like explodes when you hit it with the spoon and smoke comes out or whatever else. But it's at the end of the day, it's just a piece of eel, you know, but like done in very interesting ways. Um, eel. I don't know. I, I didn't know eel. that was going to go there. Eel. Wow. Not eel. Eel. That eel. Eel. Exploding eel. Yeah. Much less destructive than exploding veal. But my point is like it was it was excellent. It was fun. Super fun. We ate a lot of delicious food and got nice and drunk. But then we the best meal I had, again, was like off like the recommendation of a friend who was like, oh, you're going to Kyoto? Go to this place. That's all we knew about it. We didn't know what it served, nothing else. We get there, hour and a half wait. 
but the waiting list, like I still have a photo of the waiting list because it's literally like 40 names written in, you know, Japanese script and then just Modak written in Roman <laughs> script in the middle of it. And we go in there and it's a traditional, it's a horumon restaurant, which is um, often mistranslated on menus as hormone meat. Uh, oh, but yeah. it's, not, it's not, not appetizing. But it's hormone, which I guess literally translates to like variety meat. So it's a lot of just like weird cuts from <laughs> Wheel of Meat, <laughs> the restaurant. <laughs> so it's like a lot of weird ah. cuts from from like you know all the innards of different different cow parts and chicken parts and stuff like that. And you you know you throw it on a grill, um, and it was it was just unreal. Like we ate more than we had ever because we just couldn't stop. It was so good. They had every. They had how many cows does a, I mean how many stomachs does a cow have? Five? Eight, I think. I, I thought I, it was five. Anybody know this? Tweet at us. How many? <laughs> I believe it's five because they had stomachs. On the menu, they had class. they had cows first stomach, second stomach, third as different dishes. And did you try them? We tried one of them. Yeah. You, but you, you have to try two five. so you can see what the difference is. Yeah, that was, that was a good point. Two. Next time, next time. I, I don't think that's one of those where I'm like, I don't want to know. It's like the different I, colors of white. It's like, it's all white. <laughs> like, I mean, that's it's all stomach made right. Like the <laughs> second one, ooh, it's much different than the fifth. Like, I don't. And this wasn't maybe just, maybe not so much. Like, yeah. this wasn't just novelty us being like, oh, let's eat some stuff we'd never eat back home. Like, it was, you know, on a recommendation of someone who loves their food. And he was like, totally right. It was just so delicious. That actually raises an interesting question i'd like to know what you guys think about this when it comes to getting that list of places you need to eat who do you trust more do you go to your sources people you know your friends or do you want to follow the list of say you know a highly authoritative Conde Nast Traveler list or, or, you know, something that's like slightly more removed from your I feel like I'm going to be a traitor and say yeah. the first person I go to is the friend who lives yeah. there or the who has been there who I trust. Well, I think you have to triangulate. I mean, I think that's sort of the fun of traveling is that you're like, okay, like you, you take the traveler list and you weigh it against like a 36 hours in New York from five years right. ago sure. against like your friend Rex. Yeah, it's all about then, the cross-referencing you know, and figuring true. out like, wait, the right, right places mix. said you have to go right, to this but then way. I get suspicious, right? If all three, <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, that one's out. That one's too touristy. That's too touristy. One yeah. trick that I have is um, if you go to a good hotel and you talk to the concierge and you have to play this game with them, where should I go eat? And they're going to give you like five or six oh, things. Because they have it rehearsed. They're going to give you they're five or six go. things, right? Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to all of those places, right? And they're like, oh. They're like, where should I go eat? And then they give <laughs> Ooh, you a second that's path. that's a good little game. Right? And then you're like, no. Where do you eat? Yep. And then they're like, then you finally get to. So we did that in Kyoto. And they took us to this place that had one dish, eel. That's it. Wow. It didn't explode. It was just <laughs> eel. And it was just like rice with eel on top, and it was the best eel I ever had. But only when the guy saw that you were really serious yeah. mm-hmm. about, like, you didn't just need a meal where he, you know, we do this in New York, if you think about it. Where should I get pizza? Ah, uh, Lombardi's coal oven, or you can go over here. Yeah. You know, and they're like, yeah, whatever, okay. Like, no, no, really, where should I get pizza? Oh, you should go to Emily's in Brooklyn. It's yeah. a schlep, totally. but get the honey one that's mm-hmm. hot honey. Like, you kind of have to work out a little mm-hmm. bit because we have our pat answers. That, that make everyone happy. Yeah, yeah. like I know yeah, that they're totally. gonna be happy. They're gonna right. have, think they had the New York experience at this place. Right. But, so yeah. push. Be like, like tell people that you've already eaten at those places, and they'll be like, oh, respect. And it's like I'm looking for something better than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have, they have a bad. That's a good. Place. Yeah. That's you know, I've, I've done the, I've done the like, where do you eat before? But the whole like, oh yeah, I've already been to those places. Isn't Ooh. great. Great. Especially tactic. if they're like, oh per se. I'm like, oh yeah, I've eaten there. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Japan is a place where you can find restaurants that do one or two things 
and they do it really, really, really well. And the food culture kind of prizes that focus and that deep intensity. Um, we see less of that here in the United States. You see less of that in Britain, um, less of that in Europe even. How do you guys feel about that? Is that, is that something that you feel like sh there should be more of, or is that a, a thing that feels like, eh, it's great in Japan, but I'm glad every place isn't like that? I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't want every place to be like that, but to me, like my default is to trust, therefore trust whatever it is that they're putting out and make me think that I want to try it. I don't know. I mean, how do you guys feel? I feel like it, I, feel, I feel like I disagree with the premise. Like I think every single city I can think of has a notable single purveyor of said item that is worth checking out. I just think it's like New York City has places that just do pizza. We can, you know, right. maybe they have a salad, but like it's but they don't do just margarita. Okay, yeah. I mean, if you're going like, but like within pizza, it's like they just do pizza. I think in San Sebastian, right? There's my favorite restaurant. We'll probably get to this later. It's called Barna Store, and they have steak, and then the chichito peppers and tomatoes and red wine. There are no substitutions. Like you sit down and you get everyone, and then there's bread if you want also bread. But it's like that's it, and like that's all. That's the meal. That's the menu. Can I have one? And they just they, <laughs> they bring you, they bring you that. Stuff. You get steak and tomatoes and chichito peppers <laughs> and red wine and bread if you want bread. Is it like that roasted tomato thing that they do? It's in just they hack up tomatoes and sliced raw tomatoes with some salt on them, and it's like. It's peppers and tomatoes and steak and bread and wine. And, like, it's that. And I think that, you know, I trust those places, mm -hmm. especially if they've been in business for more than six minutes, because if you can get by on a menu of one thing, you then you're doing have, that thing well. You've well, nailed it. Yeah, so. I'm gonna, totally. I'm going to bring it back to that little authoritarian city-state in, South, in Southeast Asia. <laughs> Singapore. Um, <laughs> and I know all my, like, high school friends from Jakarta are yelling at their speakers right now, being like, why are you giving all this love to that rival across the straits? But um, Singapore, that's what, like, the entire cultural, the cu culture is built on. The, the Hawker Center is stalls selling one thing, and that one recipe has been passed on for generations. And um, That, in theory, is the success of any street food, though, really. Yeah. I mean, street food in general is not doing a vast menu. They're doing a couple of things, and they're doing it really, really well. And if they've stayed in their spot, yeah. it's because they're doing it well. But so, I, think, I mean, transferring that over to a brick and mortar, I think, is suggestive of something different. But, but that's kind of what the Singaporean government did. I mean, this, yeah. the, the, these were like street stalls until the 70s when in, you know, part of Singapore's effort to clean up the city was they put them all in these centers. So they are almost brick and mortar. You go to this place and it's like, it's a food court, but it's not a food court as we would know it here. But that lack of focus is what makes food trucks terrible. Yeah. Right. right. That like you yeah, go to a food you, truck and it's like have... everything is like damp and moist and comes out fried. Yeah. And it's like maybe they have one awesome dish, but then they surround it with all this other garbage. But and it, kinda like, so there, there are stories boring. now of, of hawkers in Singapore the reason I know so much about this is because I just wrote a piece on it. It's online if anyone wants to see it. Um, it's Google there's hawkers, stories. Singapore, <laughs> Sebastian. Sebastian. Um, <laughs> there's stories of hawkers because basically a lot of this culture is under threat. As you know, you're in a country with one of the highest GDPs per capita in the world. These kids are graduating with full you know college degrees. They don't necessarily want to take over mom or dad's hawker stall anymore. They want to go be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever else is going to give them. A better life but you so you have these stories of hawkers selling recipes for a single dish like a single char kway tiao dish which is like a noodle dish that's like literally endangered in singapore right now for like fifty thousand dollars 
It's like a, a restaurant. A New York City cab medallion. Yeah, just selling selling that one recipe on written down on a piece of paper to some restaurant for fifty thousand dollars. And like that's how valuable that's how like ingrained this cult this food culture is of like mastery over a single dish is in Singapore. But I think it's also, I mean, just to take it out of that like hyper granular Singapore hawker world that concept is actually very applicable to places outside of the US like Europe especially when I think of you know Italy like you're going to Rome and there are only three dishes you should really ever be eating in Rome you're oh going to you know Florence you're going we to We had Milan. a whole thing about this this week Right and I you know that that's kind of the point like it, it's because what are the three dishes So Help you're going to I know carbonara cacio e pepe you can eat gnocchi if you want it but you know if you're if in you're Rome? Gnocchi is, yeah, it's from Rome. Oh, gosh. Now I hope I'm not going to get some backlash. But every Thursday, Gnocchi Thursday. Oh, okay. con gnocchi. It's like Taco Um, Tuesday, but. But but like it's legit. But little fluffy potato. But but the concept is the same. It's supposed to be. What's the third one? You only gave us two. Well, I did say gnocchi. And carbonara. Gnocchi, what's the the sugo? Um, It depends on the day. She knows her Italian. (laughs) Um, Um. Um. Um, I mean, I, I think it depends on the day, but it, or, it's or, always I'm, Thursday. I'm, 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 what I'm do you mean? It, 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 it depends depend on, the on the week. Okay. I, I don't know. Uh, now you're putting Sugo. me on the spot. Sorry. Sugo con qualcosa. Sugo. Um, but it should be, or, or sorry, the third would be Amatriciana. In yes, Rome, really, yes. Amatriciana. Okay. I'll buy that. Yeah. I'll buy um, that over gnocchi. But the, the, the concept is the same. They do something, they do it really, really well, and they've repeated it for generations, and it's going to be better. And you just need to kind of know how to order in these places too, right? I mean, I think that's that's sort of a big deal. When I was going back to what I brought up earlier with these places in Arricho where you sit outside and they just bring you dishes and you can't mm-hmm. order because they – they're in control. You're not in control. Because they're Italian. Because they're, Ital- they're Italian, but frankly, you want them to be in control. I want to know that I'm supposed to eat the, you know, ragu con cingale and the this and the that that they want to give me. And it's going to be spectacular. It's almost like leave it up to them to tell you how to eat as opposed to you coming is, to a place you've never been to and deciding you want to try that. Which is like, that's like the first sign when I'm traveling of a restaurant I'm not going to eat at is when like the, the menu is like the thickness of like and they a have phone book and they have pictures and that's like pizza's one well first of all like you're in Vietnam and it's like pizza spaghetti uh hamburgers uh whatever <laughs> like it's just like it just goes on forever and you're like there's no way you, you guys know, know that, how to do but you know where that's this. not true uh, it, it, like you can get amazing non-Japanese food in Tokyo as well. well no, I'm had... not talking about them just having Western food there. I'm just okay. talking about when they like the variety that things. they offer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, like, you can have doing Japanese Western. food and Chinese food is never a good look. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like, they're not, like, it's not the same yeah. at all. Right. So, like, the fact that you're putting them both side by side, like, we do them both. Like, we have all of Asia covered by this one crack team <laughs> like, in the back. It was the like... most authentic team of whatever is going on back there. So, yeah, I would yeah. just say like be very cautious. Fr- of friends of mine just got back. Hopping. Friends of mine just got back from Nepal, and they're like, it was just so annoying because they're 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 telling me whenever they'd sit down anywhere in Kathmandu, it was like always pasta with tomato sauce, always pizza, always a chicken burger, mm-hmm. and they're just like, we don't want to. And it was all garbage, of course, you know. And they couldn't get to what the actual food was going, what would have actually tasted good, because those places the proprietors just wanted to put internationally recognized dishes you, you on the menu. You know who you can blame for that, right? 
Australians. They <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll, they, I'll they travel the world looking for say, I was going to say, and maybe the ones here with kids can tell me if this is wrong or not. There's only think, one here with kids. Okay, well, I think kids are to blame. I because I think there's like the kids who are just in like, the they're not French fries. In, in no, Kathmandu? Tourist kids, no. obviously. There are no tourist kids in Kathmandu. Of course there are. I went they're to Kathmandu no, as a they're kid. They're fed by their personal chefs. Can I wait in on this, though? I've actually, I agree with you, Seb, because... <laughs> when I was a child, no, it's very true. When I was a child and I was always traveling around Asia, I would, you know, c- kick up a fuss because my parents wanted me to try the Korean food or the Thai curry or whatever country we were in. And I wanted a cheeseburger and French fries. And I just, I, I didn't have the appreciation yeah. for the local food. And so they do it. To, so I, you want this I plate of delicious, true. like, but then dal? they serve it no, to somebody who's fries. in their mid thirties. Like, it, it it's like, <laughs> like they see you when like, you're eight, and they're like, "Here are your nuggets <laughs> in Nepal." Like, you're you're clearly a grown up woman, and they're like, "Here's your pastas." Like, so I, I really, I mean, again, we all know it's Australians. So. I, I, I second that. Full stuff. The Australians, not, not New Zealanders. So they're Australians. They're everywhere when you go to Asia. That's true. They're everywhere, yeah. and they're and they're. They're having the best time. I want to be reincarnated as an Australian. <laughs> we are uh, all going to be a life of chicken sandwiches and pasta in exotic locations. We're also going to get like a lot of tweets from Australians being like, "No, I love Charquetiao." Please, <laughs> please tweet at us and tell us your favorite Australian food that's not in Australia. Australians, tell Australian? us what you eat ethnically when yeah, you're on the road. When you're on the road, yeah. um, I want to ask you guys about this, Eric. You touched on this this notion of substitutions, right? Like uh, this is a thing that not. Certainly in Japan, okay, that's a different kind of story, but a lot of restaurants have started to do this where they are not going to allow you to substitute anything. I went to, um, in Venice, Jelena, in Venice Beach. Venice Beach. And they will not, like, you can't substitute anything. It's like they have a little message on the menu that's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I kind I'm not, of reckon I'm, that's fair enough. I don't know. I mean. But we I get never so, do anyway. I do because I'm an asshole and I'm a picky eater and I hate it. And I always know when it's appropriate to do it and when it isn't. And sometimes I still try and do Wait, it. Wait, how do you know. always do it? I've, I've think, I feel like when I've been out with you, you've done <laughs> do. it. <laughs> you do do like, it all the time. Oh, can I have the chicken fingers hold the chicken? <laughs> like, I'm like a horrible person. Oh, it's sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> Uh, I'm somebody who's like, listen, like no substitutions is a great rule. You know, even no substitutions if someone has allergies, like forget it. Just roll the dice. If you're ever going to go to Asia, you're good luck negotiating a gluten-free version of something. I mean, don't even try to go to like Italy or Spain and be like, hold the meat, hold the vegan anything. We had a piece on gluten-free. You had to go gluten-free in Italy, and I was just like, oh my god, that's terrible. Was it just blank? You can try. (laughs) Can I have more grilled meat? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a potato and some grilled meat? A A friend of mine in Italy was actually he was allergic to meat and he was allergic to anything dairy and I would go out to eat with him and he was like he couldn't he, and they don't understand it conceptually he'd be no, like no, no, no parmesan no and he'd be like okay and we'll just put like, a little so much parmesan. <laughs> my, 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 <laughs> just like, a small amount exist. my girlfriend's sister went to Japan when she was vegan and just I apparently just ate vegan. peanut butter for a week uh, in Japan uh. I mean, you could have gotten some tempura vegetables, though. I mean, I, mean, I remember when I was yeah. a vegetarian. Like, I was, like, the best junk food vegetarian ever. <laughs> like, every <laughs> meal was mac and cheese. It's like, oh, <laughs> mozzarella sticks. I can do that. Have fun at your steakhouse. Like, I was also 400,000 pounds. Um, um, backing it out a little bit. What makes for a great food destination? What makes for a great food city? Um, definitely a actual sense of identity. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. something that... This is going to sound so vague and, and kind of silly, but 
when there is a reflection of the destination in the food that you haven't sort of seen done anywhere else, I think that does. And I think also when they want like, you know, it, it comes back also to Asia and all the great street food you have in Asia. There's such an inviting premise to all those yeah. street food markets. I mean, you referenced Singapore. I even think in in Seoul. Um, Bangkok, yeah. Walking down the streets of Manila and you see the lechon that they're chopping up. Like, mm-hmm. There's something that's so immediately appealing and about the like the culture that that creates. And it's I welcoming. Think, it's very welcoming. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like a it's like a natural bridge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, see, that to me makes more a great food city more so than whatever has the most Michelin stars at the moment, you know. And I think like there's like what I look for, what I've seen at least in the places that I would consider food destinations is just like a really widespread commitment to mastery. Like, and I think I saw that in Tokyo. You see that actually all over Japan. I saw that where it's just like even the junk food's great. They do not tolerate bad shit. They don't tolerate bad it's shit. Just, like, that's no the place for way, bad but like, shit. Like down yeah. to the bento box you're getting before yeah. you get on the train, yeah. you know? But Which it, like, and it's just like the the fact that you could be in a place, and it's novelty, sure, because I was there for ten days. I'm sure if you live there, it just becomes part of regular life. Um, that you could be in a place for ten days and not have a bad meal without even trying that hard. That to me is like that's a place to go to eat. I think like just to, to as an example from my previous point, like a place like Lima, because mm-hmm. that the food scene there is so incredible. But what that food scene really is is a reflection of what the city is like. It's the Japanese meeting the Peruvian. They have such a big Japanese um, immigrant community, and they've kind of embraced it and they've known how to use like the ingredients to make a cuisine that's all their own. They've known how to market it, like, it, and that sort of feels like a really relevant modern, not not necessarily timeless, because you wouldn't have gone to Lima 15 years ago for food, but. What's made it a good food destination is the fact that they've really sort of understood their identity through their food. I think I think I think another way to do it too is is, is just variety. I think a lot about one of my favorite food cities on earth is Providence, Rhode Island. Mm. And you know the thing I like about it is I can think about the individual people like who are doing restaurants that have a very individual take. So like Lima definitely it's you know, but if you're talking about a place that doesn't have these shifting cultures or melting pot or mosaic type places, you have a place like Providence where, you know, you look at a restaurant like North and it's a couple of people who worked at Momofuku starting up a place and they do these like Dan Dan noodles that are absolutely amazing. They're crunchy and like they're awesome and that's up the street from like a crab shack that's been there for a long time and someone's doing, you know, a fried chicken joint. And I think it's all done through this lens of Providence, but they're individual people who have sort of staked a wish and a dream on their idea of what food can mean for that town. And and like that town for me now is pound for pound on par with something like Charleston. And like there's six or seven or eight really good, really different views of food that are super approachable. The people are super warm and they're like good nights out. Um, and so I, I would say that, like, we, we sometimes have these grand gestures of, like, great meals and great food, but I also think it comes down to just, like, human beings in a kitchen, to your point with, like, like nailing it. I think there's, like, an authenticity maybe is kind of where I'm driving mm-hmm. towards, yeah. where there's just, like, a huge authenticity there. I found that, too, in Iceland, where, you know, there's a hot dog stand that makes, like, lamb hot dogs, and, like, that shit was just super authentic. Like, that people, they cared about putting mayonnaise and hot sauce and fried onions and all kinds of crazy stuff on a hot dog. Didn't so. care for that hot dog. <laughs> I loved it. I know everyone loves it. 
But I mean, like, yeah. I, I can name about four things on the hot dog that you probably were like, mm, really? Like, can I get a substitution? So, like, as a bonafide vegetarian, because like, it literally was like seven different hot dogs. Yeah, there was like four things on that that I liked before you covered it with all the things I don't like. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a dumpster fire hot dog. But you know, it's the middle of winter; you're freezing to death, right? It's a lamb hot dog. Like, well, the strange commitment to that experience that you have to have I, is like wonderful to me bringing you know? back to our like the first thing we started talking about i i didn't like the hot dog i liked getting it though and it comes back to i enjoyed right, that experience, experience and i would recommend somebody else do it right because and you're I looking knew at that, that opera house that's brand new with all yeah, the blinking and lights it's completely absurd. cold and it was pitch black yeah. and it's like outside and it was it was like i that was memorable right, that was a memorable meal even though i didn't like the food even if after you took your first bite you're like i don't want this anymore but i love that i came the food is a prop in the larger Comedy called uh, Aaron goes to get a hot dog. So, I mean, Ooh, that's a good go. series. Yeah. We're, we're gonna spin that up. It's just like taking a series. Drop Green her in light. different parts of the yeah. world and see if she can get away with substitutions. <laughs> <laughs> the the place. I think we got a hit. I smell spin-off. Yeah. You're at the pasta plant. You can't have gluten. What does she do? <laughs> just crack eggs in my mouth. <laughs> I'll gargle. I'll gargle. It's okay. Uh, no, but the place that I always think about with this in this kind of question is Portland, Maine, which I have like two views on. One is from growing up there where there was no food culture at all. Right. And the other is going back now where this is to me, again, pound for pound, like one of the most interesting food cities totally. on earth. Right. And when I went up there a couple of years ago and I was doing research for a story here and I stayed at the press hotel, which had just opened and had some conversations around town with people. And one of the ingredients that I feel like was helping that city was a sense of community. Like I feel like the people in the restaurant business and the chefs were conscious of a couple of things that are just truths in Maine, which is this is a harsh environment. It's not a giving land, right? Like the growing seasons are short and they're not very generous. And because of that, people would kind of band together and sort of trade stories. They had spun up farmer's markets that didn't exist when I was a kid. Like the concept of a farmer's market in Portland was like insane when I was a kid there. Mm. And so, and then there were like three or four and there are people communicating about them and the chefs are hanging out with each other and they're sort of challenging each other. And you've got these restaurants that are kind of amazing, you know, along the same lines. It's like, you've got, you've got like um, the dumpling house that's there, which is like yeah. not an indigenous cuisine at all. And you've got Eventide, which is playing like the same guys open Eventide and they open the, the fourth street on the corner and they've got, uh, or Hugo's on the corner, sorry, four streets down the street. And then you've got um, their new place, which is the, the noodle bar. Right. And that, they also support like up the, two blocks away is duck fat yeah right and so like people who can't get into eventide because it's an hour and a half wait go over to duck fat so i just think that like each one of those people though that is running the places and i know a lot of them they're just like very specifically into the idea that they've got a patch of land i think you can credit new york city with some of that yeah where these people are like i'm not spending 42 million dollars a square foot to sell people something i'm going home you know, I'm yep. going to take what I've learned. I'm going to go back and I'm going to make my own kind of food that reflects the town and the pride that I have. And and that's where you get like, great things. That's where you get Charleston. That's where you get what's going on in Nashville, which is like yeah. super fun. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think New York City is cooled because there's nothing exciting. And I like the guy. But there's nothing exciting about like Dale Talday's Six Restaurant. Right. Like no one's like. Congrats. Good job. <laughs> right. Like, I'm really excited. I can't wait to go to it. But, like, that's me, and I'm a food nerd. But, like, for, for a lot of these places, it's like I'd rather see so-and-so's first restaurant in Providence. Yeah. yeah. 
um, and the yeah, town weird. gets yeah. behind him super good. Yeah. So America is a great place to to roll around through communities all over the place. I think you're seeing great great little food shops no matter where you are all cities you know what i think is so interesting too though is when you see like the diaspora of like these great like tentpole restaurants like your noma oh my god or your you know albuli yeah. or whatever it might have been when you see all of the chefs that have gone through those kitchens and where they've ended up in the mm -hmm. world and they've started up new restaurants i think that's kind of an interesting like sort of cultural migration as well i mean i i I was down, when I was in New Zealand last year, I was in this place outside of Queenstown in Otago in the wine region, and they took me to this vineyard, and they served me lunch, and the chef, who's a Kiwi chef, he wanted to do a Māori menu, you know, the native the native people of New Zealand, they want to do a Māori menu. I grew up in New Zealand, when I, people wanted to feed me Māori food, it did not taste good, I didn't like to eat it. Um, but he was from Noma. He had done, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years in Noma and he had gone back and he had sort of applied those techniques to this cuisine. And he had kind of like all of a sudden made a cuisine out of something that was just like a staple or like something you had to eat in the past. And I think that's kind of interesting. I, I it, obviously that's to a different degree than, say, what's happening in like Portland. But I think there is something to be said for these sort of hub or pulse point food cities and restaurants that then go on to affect how we can eat in right. maybe less expected food destinations. It could even happen in expected locations in unexpected ways, if that makes sense. So like I'm thinking, it's funny when you were talking about how like, you know, New York is kind of cooled in a way in terms of new restaurants. I feel like it has, but I also feel like there's been kind of a back to basics approach with some of the newer restaurants. Like one of my favorite restaurants right now is, uh, one of my favorite newer restaurants right now is Hanoi House, just like a Vietnamese spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one reason it works so well is because Vietnamese food in the city has just been total shit for years. There's like nothing on offer really. Um, but two, it's interesting back to what you were saying is that like those founders have like, you know, made their way around Steven Star restaurants for mm -hmm. years before coming back and opening this. Um, so it's kind of both those things happening in a place that's already kind of saturated, right. but it's I, still I, being I, able to stand out. I joke it. about Talde, but his new restaurant in Chinatown, which is like a new take on dim sum, mm -hmm. like I absolutely am excited about it because mm -hmm. he took a dope space and kind of jazzed it up, but he's doing a different take on dim sum than like what I think is like the pretty basic beat Chinatown yeah. take on dim sum. So it's like, I can't wait to get in and go over there. I just think that the New York scene in general, like a lot of the energy has has emanated outwards totally. and like go to louisville sometime like louisville is yeah. like absurd in terms of like how cool and just different the vibe is when you go into some of those restaurants there's there's no resi <laughs> like yeah there's there's no there's no there's no infrastructure to support it it's like you show up and you wait in line with everyone else yeah. and they they're happy to see you so i think mm -hmm. it's i think it's really rad one thing i was going to ask you guys is just where are you excited about domestically in the united states what food towns do you want to actually plan a trip to so you can eat? Orlando is a no. I'm just kidding. Orlando, Orlando is Orlando like, really? is not amazing. Tell me more. Do not go to Orlando. Have you tried those buffets? <laughs> oh <laughs> my god, $9.99. Prime <laughs> rib is epic. Um, honestly, like I I wish I could take the food scene of this place and transport it to a different place, but like the Las Vegas food scene. Really? Oh is, wow! Is, really? It's actually not like it's. Wait, really? It's I, mean, I don't know. I know you're serious. Is, I actually it, don't know. It's, so. I just don't want to be in Las Vegas. It's like yeah. I, if I could divorce those two things, you know, all of those hotels have brand name chefs who are doing interesting things. It's just it's a little too expensive, but I think it's really really interesting that they're trying to put good food there. I'm just like. 
I just don't want to set foot in Las Vegas because the minute you do it, all the authenticity that I like about a food scene has been blown up. But I do think that like this is a, a travel podcast that from a destination perspective, yeah. it's really it's no, really kind of interesting and fascinating that it went from 995 buffets to like every every chef that's worth his weight has to have a place there there is a critical mass of chefitude there i i think that it's been plasticized and you know it's all digital flashy boards and menus and stuff but Mm. not for nothing like you can get a great meal you can get you can you could spend a week there just eating and you'd have good meals yeah yeah and there's shake shack (laughs) yeah (laughs) that means you'll never go wrong a week eating at shake shack and in an out burger in the same town. Yeah, well, that's kind of one of the few places where you could do a blind test. Yeah. Is that yeah. the blind only town test. where they both exist? Uh, I think Shake Shack must be in LA now. It's not. I don't think. It's I don't on think the West they've Coast. hit California. No, yeah. I remember when Dunkin' Donuts hit LA, and I was like, "What?" Yeah. Like, but Dunkin'. I think maybe maybe Vegas is the only place you can do the side by side. Bonus. <laughs> Reason enough to go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a sh- there's there's Shake Shacks in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm actually. I'm gonna sit this question out. I don't think I know enough about what's going on, food-wise, domestically right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I could answer that in in maybe a more expected way. I, I would love to go to a place like Asheville and see what's happening there. I mean, I think like what's attracting me to the food domestically is those southern cities. I mean, started by your obviously New Orleans has a fantastic food scene. Charleston, Nashville. But uh, Louisville and Asheville is good. I mean, we've and mentioned Austin so many I mean, of of them uh, thus you know, far that. And I know. haven't I haven't been, and I'm not saying this would compel me to go. No offense, Indiana, but I've heard Indianapolis actually has yeah. an interesting yeah. food yeah. scene happening yeah. too. And I think that's really this kind of answers your earlier question, Brad. Like, would you travel for food? I would probably never be inclined to go to Indianapolis. But now that I'm hearing more and more that they have an interesting food scene, I'm paying attention to that place. Yeah. You know, so it, you, it is like a magnet. Yeah, I think it's the opposite of a band that comes to your town. Now you have to go to that town to see their band. You know what I mean? So I would go to Indianapolis to see what their food scene is like Mm -hmm. and get the city as sort of like a thrown-in bonus. I do think that answering this question reveals something pretty important, which is the food scene in America is awesome. Like, go coast to coast. Both Portland's, Chicago, Detroit is good. Cincinnati has some really interesting stuff. Austin is dope. Like, it's just like... Chicago's fantastic. You go end to end, top to bottom. Hot dogs, Carolina, yeah. You know, the the food is the new rock and roll moment. You know, we're at at peak that. Because I think every city has a community of young, vibrant people who are willing to spend their money on food experiences as instead of buying DVDs, mm-hmm. right? Instead of like owning stuff mm-hmm. or like a car, they'll take an Uber to the experience that they'll never forget. And I think that like that is really what's driving a lot of this is that people don't want to get the prepackaged, samey kind of stuff. I think they're looking for unique experience and, and chefs in these cities can offer them. Um, it's really interesting to watch the food scene from like my vantage point, being like, wow, there's no bad place to go. Wow. That seems like a great place to stop, actually. We could do what about our what about the meals yeah, when we, we die? Oh, oh yeah, okay, gosh, let's do that. What about do that? Sorry, the, sorry, the I skipped meals. the whole I skipped the whole Okay, so so um, here's the question we were gonna actually start the episode with, which is let's say it's your last meal, you're on death row. Because all of us are again, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> end up there. we're all we're, we're all, all headed there. We're all headed that way. Um, what 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 would your last meal be? We're on death row, but we're able to be flown you can, somewhere. You can and go anywhere on earth. The they will anywhere. take you there. They will You're buy your meal. Death row house arrest. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Running Man. If you leave, your head explodes. 
Where would you guys have? <laughs> I'm going uh, to say Singapore. It, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> okay, done. But again, Shock just a century. <laughs> but I guess, no, but I would tell you the exact place. This is just to eat. I also, for the record, I think they're like, there's a great food. There's great food all over Southeast Asia. There's great, I think, more fun cities than Singapore across Southeast Asia, most of the other cities, actually. <laughs> but in terms <laughs> well, of food, Do you love it or do you hate it? I, I love it. I'd go there. That's, again, I'd go there to eat. Okay. That's where I'd go to eat. Okay. And um, there's this little place called No Signboard because it didn't have a signboard. It maybe still... <laughs> no, I think now it might have a signboard that says No Signboard on it. Oh, but um, it's in Geelong, <laughs> which is like... But how do you find it? <laughs> now I'm confused. So now, now it shows up on Never Google Maps if you write in No Signboard. Um, it's in Geelong, which is kind of the the red light district in Singapore, which doesn't mean much because it's Singapore. Um, but they serve these... The skirts show the ankles. <laughs> they serve... Uh, go. I'd go there, I'd order one chili crab and one black pepper crab, and then I would just go elbow deep <laughs> into it. Um, How big are these crabs? Oh, yeah. It's my last <laughs> meal, man. They're no. big. Oh, oh right. well, I don't. I mean, I don't, like I'm used to like Maryland crabs. Oh, I thought you. Are, I thought you were saying I was ordering too much. No, I mean no, no, no. how. I don't know how large these. crabs No, no, these get. are Sri Lankan crabs. They're they're meaty. They're big. The size um, of your head. They're like the Alaskan yeah. king crabs, like not quite, huge. but 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 they're they're big they and look um, like the thing from Alien. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just. I mean, the food's delicious, but again, it's also the experience. You're like you're in the middle of Geelong, which is like one of the f- more fun, kind of more vibrant night neighborhoods in Singapore. It's all with your hands, of course. And this chili crab, it's like spicy. It's delicious. It's just like an experience because like you're also like grappling with this crab, you know, carapace. Is that the word? Is that the right word for it? Feels very Hemingway esque. Um, this last it's, meal. Yeah, well, it is because then like you know you like sometimes you like you might get like a tiny little scratch on your finger or something, but then it's chili and you're so it just starts stinging. It's just like this whole sensory experience <laughs> that is, is transporting. It was like the meal that was going to like kill you. It was. <laughs> So, and then I would be like, uh, it would be my, it would be like the most like I'm alive moment right before I'm not alive anymore. In so Singapore, crab it. eats you. <laughs> <laughs> Wade into the crab. So yeah, death by crab. No, no signboard. Singapore. Aaron, I don't know. This is actually a really difficult question for me to answer. Of course, if it uh, couldn't be my mother's chicken fajitas. Chicken oh. fajitas. Got, got, oh. So basic. I know, like, but god damn it, was it did it taste? I'm so taste into good. that. Like that. It's like so, you after like all of this, I, I, I like know, traveling the I world, know. and you just come home to mom's yeah, fajitas. You know what? It all comes Stop back to there. that. Stop there. Like, That's great. No, but if it had to be, you know, I I don't know if it would for certain be this. I have to say, and it's in our food package uh, in the October issue. But there is this unbelievable restaurant in Tangier in Morocco called um, Poisson de Saveur or Saveur de Poisson. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm sorry. But it is like, I mean, it would not pass hygiene standards in New York. There, there's no way it would be open <laughs> if it was here. It's just a bunch of guys that are rinsing off in cold water, you know, wooden um, cutlery and just throwing it on the table. There's absolutely no menu. It's just whatever seafood they've caught that day, they mm. prepare it, they cook it. It is, it is absolutely beautiful. They bring it to your table, and you get about seven different dishes. You pay. It's about $20 at the end of it. Awesome. It's fine. It is unbelievable. And, like, it's not just – like, that is one time where, yes, it's the experience, but the food just trumps the – or is the, the, the biggest selling point of the experience. And it was amazing. And because it's your last meal, you don't have to worry about food poisoning. 
There you go. A bonus. You're there, a yeah. bonus. Yeah, that's it's why like I don't care cares? about the hygiene standards. There you go. Yeah. Um, Eric, I would, where are you going? I would go back to that bon me. I mean, I like uh, circular things anyways, where the beginning of this episode is also the end. But uh, for me, <laughs> um, I just dig that. I thought that that was, it was just so great. And like, you know, if there's, I don't know that I'm ever going to get back to that place. So it's like, that's one of those that like, I, I can go to my local restaurant whenever I want still and have that. But I'm not sure that I'm going to get back to Vietnam again anytime soon. Or and just being sure. like that exact same headspace where you're like, I need, I want to buy me right stall now. Or will still that be up. there, right? Yeah. We're promoting it so heavily on this show that like the line is too long. And they <laughs> sell t-shirts now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Collapses like, under the weight right. of some celebrity. Just because it's been mentioned in a podcast twice with no actual name of restaurant given. Um, <laughs> Google it. I want the bon me place in Saigon. Um, but I would, I would go back to my I think a lot of it has to do with it's like cost location and just surprise like it was so much shockingly better than the best banh mi i'd ever had mm -hmm. that it sort of redefined what a banh mi could be to me where now i'm like it's like i feel that way after coming back from la when i have sushi there and i have sushi in new york i'm like Ugh, it's cat food <laughs> i taco. hate it you yeah. know what i mean you're like this doesn't count as food and i think that way now when i have another banh mi i mean they had like a trowel full of pate they were just like Bleh. and it was just like the the craziest most unctuous best sandwich of all time and four bucks so you know, four bucks four bucks nice. so you know there you go four bucks um i think i'm gonna go with madrid this place on calle ponzano that's called sala de Spiese. um we went there we were on a layover in madrid on the way to um to valencia and we decided to roll in from the airport to the city, spend like three, four hours just kind of like bouncing around the city, went to the park, walked around a little bit, and then we took our son to this place, which I had heard about. Somebody had recommended it from the office. And um, it was absolutely amazing. Totally loked out place. Um, just very simple food, seafood. Um, these tomatoes that are kind of like stewed tomatoes that they just like throw down. They're soaked in olive oil unbelievable like really really simple food but the flavor it's like spanish food's a little bit like italian food it's like the flavors are super intense because they're just pure and they don't do a whole lot to it and it was just one of those like intense amazing experiences that i just you know it's never gonna leave me never gonna leave me so i go back to that i also love madrid so it being in that all right. Well, thanks to all of you guys for um, coming down and participating today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. And visit us at cntraveler.com. You can read about these things. Um, Where in the World to Eat is the name of our list of places that we, um, uh, the restaurants that we love around the world. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do tweet at us. Let us know what your favorite place to eat is. Tell us what we are missing around the world. We would love to hear from you. We have, in fact, created a podcast on listener demand in the past. Um, we might do it for you. So let us know and give us uh, feedback on iTunes as well. Tell the folk how to reach you if they want to communicate directly. Seb? I'm at Seb Modak, S-E-B-M-O-D-A-K, on all the different things. Aaron? I am Aaron underscore Florio on Instagram. Eric? Where are you at? I don't really use the social medias. <laughs> I'm like ghosting it. You can follow my wife. Um, no, uh, <laughs> she posts so much more than me. I'm Eric Gillen, E-R-I-C-G-I-L-L-I-N, uh, at Instagram. And I am at Bradrick. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. <laughs>